Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this time, sorry, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Marlon's wife, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, or Salmon rather, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, 
and Jesse, the father of David. Well, uh, look, let's um, just bow in prayer as we, uh, before we uh, hear more from the book of Ruth, shall we? Father, we do want to thank you for uh, the uh, word that you've given us uh, in the scriptures. And uh, Father, we pray now that uh, you'd help us to focus our minds and help the uh, children next door as they learn from your word in the Sunday school class that uh, the uh, truths of the gospel would be firmly rooted in all of our lives and uh, that we would respond in faith and in thanksgiving. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, people love love stories about the lives of other people. I think that's true to say. I think it's uh, part of the reason why um, soap operas are um, so popular. Uh, Days of Our Lives, I think, has been running since about 1965 and it's still going strong in some places with some people. Uh, People uh, love watching the reality TV shows. I've never watched Big Brother, um, but apparently you get to learn about people's lives and their interactions with one another and so on. It's very easy to get involved in a story when there are the elements of romance and scandal and jealousy, and we love it. I think that's uh, why people love gossip as well. They just love stories about people's lives. It's not always a very good thing, is it? But it can be a very good thing. Um, I love reading books about the lives of inspiring people, people who've lived amazing lives, people who I can learn from. At the moment, I'm reading the uh, biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German... Uh, pastor, theologian, who was part of a group of people, many of whom included Christians, who were decided that they were committed to the idea of assassinating Adolf Hitler for the good of uh, the world. And uh, we love stories of people's lives. I, I would much rather read a biography of someone's life than read an essay about the person. Because a story or a biography uh, doesn't just um, uh, inform your head, it actually connects with your heart and your feelings and your emotions and you step into that person's world. Um, The little Old Testament book of Ruth is a great story. Have you enjoyed looking at it over the last few weeks as we've been um, studying it? It's an interesting story. It's got all of the elements that you need for a great story. It's got tragedy, it's got hardship... It's got loyalty, there's risk, uh, there's, there's even a hint of scandal, there's scheming, there's romance, uh, there's suspense, and uh, as we'll see today, there's a great ending as well. It's a really good read. But I guess my question as we come to the end of this series is, is that all that it is? Um, is there more to this book? Um, what does this book tell us about God and about Uh, not just God's ways and God's interactions with people, Uh, what does it tell us about God's plan and God's purpose and how uh, we are involved in that? 
And so that's what we're going to be dealing with today. I wonder if you might open up your Bibles at uh, Ruth uh, chapter 4. And uh, you'll find that on page 189 of your pew Bibles. Um, Because when we come to chapter 4, we kind of see how this whole story ends. Uh, Last week, when we finished uh, chapter 3, it kind of finished on a bit of a cliffhanger, didn't it? Uh, There was romance involved because essentially Ruth had invited Boaz to become her kinsman redeemer which meant that uh, uh, basically it was an offer for Ruth, uh, for Boaz to marry Ruth. So there was romance uh, last week. But uh, there was also a degree of suspense because uh, we learnt that there was another kinsman redeemer, a closer relative to Ruth, who had first right of refusal in terms of purchasing some land and marrying Ruth. So it was a, uh, a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, when we finished up last week. And so when we come to chapter 4, we want to know how this gets resolved. I mean, uh, does Boaz marry Ruth? Is it a done deal or not? What about this other man, this other kinsman redeemer? Well, um, if you'll follow with me in the text, in verses 1 to 4, Boaz goes to the city gate. Remember the town that they're living in is the town of Bethlehem. So he goes to the city gate of Bethlehem and basically that was kind of the legal end of town. You know, if it was a modern day city, that would be the part of town where all the solicitors and accountants uh, would have their offices. The city gate was where the elders of the community would, um, would gather and they would sit there and they would uh, hear disputes that people were having against one another they would witness uh, legal transactions and so on. And so Boaz goes to the city gate and his purpose in going there is he wants to, the elders are there and he's waiting to see if this other kinsman redeemer would pass by. And what we see is that when the man does happen to pass by, um, he uh, approaches him and he um, explains the situation to him. Uh, Boaz explained that Naomi was selling land that had belonged to her husband Elimelech and had been passed on to her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, who were all now deceased. And so the question is, to this closer kinsman redeemer, would he be prepared to act as kinsman redeemer and to purchase the land from Naomi? That's the question. Now, the outcome of this, well, it's actually bad news for Boaz. Because remember, he's hoping that the guy will say no. (laughs) But um, in verse 4, the man says, okay, fine, not a problem. I will redeem the land. I will buy the land back. Now, remember, the kinsman redeemer would buy the land... (coughs) of a family member who was selling the land in order to keep the land in the family because the land was a gift from God to the the tribes and to the clans. And so this man is happy to do that. But he's forgotten one thing. And we see it in verse 4. Will you come with me to verse 4, please? Uh, Verse 5, rather. 
In verse 5, having said, yeah, fine, no dramas, I will redeem it, then Boaz said, um, there's another thing, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Uh, It's a package deal. And the deal was, and in order for the land to stay in the dead man's family, the kinsman redeemer who purchased the land would also marry the widow. And if then together they had a firstborn son, then that son would be legally treated as the dead man's son, the first husband's son, and he therefore would eventually inherit the land so that the land would remain in the family line of the deceased husband. Now, it's kind of explained to us in the text itself, actually. If you just flip over the page to uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, I want to skip ahead in the story because uh, Boaz does actually end up redeeming the land. And in verse 9, Then Boaz announced to the elders of all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. So that kind of explains... um, you know, what I've been trying... That puts it in better words, what I've been trying to explain to you. Does it make sense now? Okay, so that's the deal. Um, it's it's a package deal. And, uh, you know, in Port Macquarie, you often see ads for package deals, don't you? It's, you know, land and house. Well, this package deal is land and wife. And when he hears about this, uh, in verse 6, when it's pointed out to this other man, he says, whoa, <laughs> Uh, he says, like, um, no. Uh, he says, I, you know, land, yes, I'm happy to... B- wife, no, thank you very much. I'm not prepared. If you want to buy the land, he says to Boaz, you go ahead and do it. Now, why would he say that? Why would he not want to marry Ruth? I mean... Um, Uh, As we've seen last week, every man in town knew that she was a great catch. Uh, She's young, she's loyal, she's been very loyal to her mother-in-law and, you know, she certainly caught the eye of Boaz when she was gleaning out uh, out on his farm. So why would he not want to marry? Well, I think that the clue to that is found in verse 6. In verse 6... If you go back to that, he says, he gives his reason. He says, I cannot redeem it, that is the land, because I might endanger my own estate. Now, what what does he mean by that? If I acquire this land, given that there's now a a wife involved, I might endanger my own estate. There are a number of different views as to why that was the case. I think the view that I've come down on is this, that this man is thinking about his own assets and what he will pass on down his own family line because redemption is costly. 
Uh, if he's going to buy this block of land, he's going to have to take money out of the bank to buy that land. Now, you know, if that was, if there was no woman involved, then that's just reshuffling your assets, isn't it? But because he would then have to marry Ruth, and uh, if they then have a son together, that that land uh, that he's now got his equity in would then pass on down to that fam to that firstborn son, and would pass on down the family line of Ruth's um, deceased husband, then what that would mean is that there is, would now be a smaller inheritance for his own family line. So he'd be endangering his own estate if he did that because redemption is costly. It costs money for this block of land. So he says, no, can't do it. Nothing against Ruth, nice girl, but I'm worried about my own estate. Now, remember last week we saw that uh, if a brother-in-law refused to marry the widow of his deceased brother, then there was a penalty that he had to pay. Uh, remember, uh, she could take him to the elders of the community and what did she do to him? Uh, she was able to, she was to rip off his sandal and then spit in his face. Remember that? Now, this is not the, quite the same sort of refusal that we see here because, A, this man is not a brother-in-law and, B, there is another kinsman redeemer who is willing uh, to do the deal, and that is Boaz. But what we do see is that there are actually some similarities because in verses 7 through to 9, they, they use a sandal to settle the deal. Uh, the man who refused to marry Ruth, uh, instead of having his sandal ripped off him, he took off his own sandal off his foot and what he then did is he passed, he hands the sandal to Boaz. And the, the elders and many other people uh, witnessed the deal. See, these days we would use a signature to... Uh, uh, to finalise the deal. In those days, they handed a sandal. It's very visible. Everyone can see what's going on. And uh, the elders and many other people there acted as witnesses. Witnesses are important in legal transactions, aren't they? Sometimes we don't appreciate the importance of having witnesses. I did during this week, actually. See, I got a phone call from a, a man who was uh, a bit anxious and he, he had a story to tell me. He told me that in 1984, he and his wife got married uh, in this area and it was only just recently that they've applied to the Australian government for passports because they want to go on an overseas holiday. And they got a letter back from the government this week saying... Um, uh, we can't process your passport application because we don't have any evidence of your marriage, of your wedding ever taking, having taken place. They've said our records at the you know, marriages registry does not show any evidence of your wedding ever taking place. 
bottom line is it seems that uh, 28 years ago, um, someone didn't put the relevant papers in the post box. <laughs> well, something's happened. Whatever the case, it hasn't arrived. I said to this guy's wife, I said, so you two have been living in sin all that time, eh? <laughs> and how could they prove that they were married? Uh, you see, they don't know how to contact the minister. Uh, they don't know where he lives. He was very elderly when he married them 28 years ago. He's probably dead by now. Uh, they, they don't know what church might hold the records in as well because they didn't get married in the church. They don't know what church the minister was from. They got married in the garden and so they don't know what church to go to. And there was no evidence at all that they ever got married except I was able to say to them one piece of evidence. I said, did you keep your wedding certificate? He said, yes. I said, on your wedding certificate, were there two witnesses at your wedding? He said, yes. I said, did they sign the wedding certificate? He said, yes. I said, there you go. There's your evidence. That'll do the trick. All you need is two stat decks from those witnesses and it'll be fixed. You see, witnesses are really important, aren't they? I never knew why the witnesses were so important at a wedding. That's why they were so important at the wedding. And Boaz had witnesses. Boaz had uh, a whole crowd of people and the elders of the town were witnesses. He had a sandal in his hand. He now had a block of land that he didn't have before and best of all, he's now got a wife, a godly wife at that in Ruth. And so in verse 11, in verse 11, uh, the witnesses or the elders of the town and the other people, um, they, they, everyone at the gate says we are witnesses to what has just taken place. Now, this is not the climax of the story. Um, the important part of the story is what happens next in the blessings which flow on from this union. Uh, first of all, let me just talk through the blessings. In verses 11 and 12, the witnesses bless Boaz by reminding him of how God has blessed the whole nation of Israel in the past. Uh, we see that in verse 11. In verse 11, they say, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Now, who were Rachel and Leah? Uh, Rachel and Leah, they were both wives of the same man, weren't they? What was their husband's name? Jacob, a.k.a. Israel. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And that's a messy story about how come he had two wives and so on, not to be recommended, by the way, in the Bible. God says it's one man, one woman together for life. And where there's cases of polygamy in the Bible, which there are quite a few, the Bible never recommends it. In fact, it always ends up in disaster, as was the case with uh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah. But nevertheless, from their 12 sons came the whole family tree of the whole nation of Israel. And one of their 12 sons uh, was named Judah. From him you get the tribe of Judah and the Jews. 
In Genesis chapter 38, Judah was tricked by his daughter-in-law, whose name was Tamar. He was tricked by Tamar into having sex with him. You remember the story? Um, Basically, she pretended to be a prostitute and he had a one-night stand with a prostitute. The reason she did that was because she had been married to his son who had died and then, uh, uh, after a couple of attempts, he refused to allow her to marry his younger son so that she could have a son uh, by him uh, who would then become legally the son of her husband who had died. Do you get the the idea there? So because uh, Judah had refused to allow her to marry his younger son, she then thought she'd have sex with Judah so that she would conceive through him and that that son would become the legal son of her deceased husband, Judah's son. Now, that baby that was born, his name was Perez. And that's really important here because in verse 12, uh, the elders and the people say, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so they're saying that any son that they have would be a son just like Perez, a son which is born through the brother-in-law marriage, the Leverite marriage uh, system that the law had established. Now the second blessing is in verses 13 through to 17. And uh, Boaz and Ruth, they, they get hitched, they get married, and she soon gives birth to a bouncing baby boy whose name is Obed. Now remember that when Naomi had first arrived back in Bethlehem after her husband and two sons had died, when she came from Moab and to Bethlehem and she was greeted by the women of the town, she said to the women, do not call me Naomi. Um, Do you remember why? What, What does the word Naomi mean? Does anyone remember? Uh, not quite sweetness, but very, very. You're on the right. Uh, you're on the right track there. We'll come back to sweetness in a moment, though. Um, can anyone, anyone want to have another guess at remembering what the word Nao? Sweetness is right, actually. You're right, and I'm wrong. She. That's right. She says to the ladies, "Don't call me sweetness. Um, instead." Call me Mara. Who can tell me what Mara means? Opposite of sweetness? Yep, Georgia? Sour. Yeah, that's, that's about right. Bitterness. So she says, don't call me Naomi. Quite right there. Sorry, I got it wrong. Don't call me Naomi. Call me, don't call me sweetness. Call me bitterness because the Lord has made my life bitter. Now here, the women are able to now call her Naomi because guess what? There's a whole lot of sweetness now in her life. 
because the Lord has blessed her with Obed, the, uh, the little grandson. And uh, when Obed grows up, he will be like a kinsman redeemer. He will be the one who takes care of her in her old age. And so, um, and they also go on to say, and this daughter of, daughter-in-law of yours, Ruth, she's spectacular. Uh, she is worth, what does it say? She's worth how many sons? Seven sons. Now, I've got to tell you that for a Middle Eastern person, Middle Eastern people to say that your one daughter-in-law is worth seven sons, that's a pretty big thing to say, a huge thing for them to say. She has got one fantastic daughter-in-law, Ruth. So Naomi is happy, um, Ruth is happy, Boaz, he's very, very happy. And if the book of Ruth were to end there, then we'd say, yep, fantastic. Uh, It is a heartwarming, romantic story which teaches us good things about godliness. Um, We could say, well, you know, the things about godliness that we've learnt through this book, it's, it's taught us about loyalty, hasn't it? that the loyalty that we see in Ruth towards her mother-in-law. And we could say that it's, it's taught us about integrity. We see great integrity in the way that Boaz conducted himself. And it does teach these things. And we need to be people who are faithful. We need to be people who have integrity. But friends, that's not all. Because there is a storyline which is woven throughout the Old Testament. A storyline which is not just about how God relates to people. A storyline which is about God's great plan. A storyline about God's plan to redeem people from sin. Because we all sin, don't we? Uh, we have all inherited the fallen nature of, uh, of Adam. We all rebel against God and against his word. And that's why the world that we live in is so tangled and so messy. Someone said to me earlier on this morning, um, you better look above because below is only mud. <laughs> and it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it, uh, in our world? We see uh, um, we, the, the, the tensions in relationships um, uh, at a personal level, at a, uh, even at a geopolitical level. And uh, as, as, one, as we solve one issue here, another issue surfaces somewhere else. Um, and it's because we have rejected God's authority to rule our lives. And in our natural state, the Bible says that we are enslaved to sin and that we must be bought back, we must be purchased, we must be redeemed. And redemption is expensive. I mean, Boaz had to pay a price for that block of land. Uh, It was a price that the other bloke wasn't prepared to pay because it was too expensive for him. He might endanger his own estate. 
But friends, the price that God has paid to redeem us from slavery and from the penalty of sin uh, is, is a lot more than the price of a block of land. You see, through this little boy that was born, Obed, God eventually blessed the whole nation of Israel. Uh, in verse 18, it says this then, it goes back to Perez, that child that was born uh, through the brother-in-law marriage system, goes back to Perez and says this, this is the family line of, of Perez, the son of Tamar who tricked the father-in-law. Perez was the father of Heron, Hezron. Hezron was the father of, and then there's a whole bunch of, of difficult to pronounce names. Then you get down to verse 21, and uh, I'm going for salmon here. Could be salmon, but I'll go for salmon. All right. Uh, salmon is the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. This is familiar territory now, isn't it? Jesse, the father of David, who is King David. Uh, David, whom God used as his anointed ruler who with a sling and a stone redeemed God's people. He defeated uh, the enemy of God and he defeated the Philistines. Uh, David, the one to whom God promised that upon his throne, uh, uh, that his throne would be an everlasting throne, that there would be a descendant of David who would sit on the throne of David as king over God's people forever. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He, he, his family line, his royal family line of ruling over God's people would be an everlasting family line. Now, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, they lived in Bethlehem, didn't they? which one day would be called the town of David. The same town in which much later a direct descendant of David would be born. Remember who that might be? Yeah, we're kind of going to be celebrating his birth in a few weeks' time, aren't we? Um, because what this tells us is that from the union of Ruth and Boaz comes Israel's great king David... And from the line of David comes the one who is the king of kings, lord of lords, who paid more than a block of land to redeem us, who paid more than a king's ransom to redeem us. It was a divine ransom as the son of God who died and rose again. Now, the storyline of the Bible of which the book of Ruth is a part, finds its climax in Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer, who is our king, and who is God's blessing to the whole of the world. Um, Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, just one last thing. 
this forgiveness, this redemption through Jesus, it doesn't actually matter who you are or what you've done in order to get it. That, that's why it's called redemption. That's why it's called forgiveness and not merit. You get the idea? Uh, see, it's interesting, isn't it, when you... You know those ads on TV for Ancestry.com? I find them a bit irritating, actually, but uh, anyway, you know, when they get someone on and said, you know, well, I wanted to research my family tree and, you know, I'd heard about, you know, great-great-grandmother uh, and, you know, and I traced her back and... <gasps> scandal! Whoa! There was a scandal in... Well, I reckon it would... If they, if they wanted to do an Ancestry.com ad, the ancestry of Jesus would make for a pretty interesting ad. You see, it turns out that his great, 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 whatever grandmother, Ruth, she wasn't even Jewish. She was a Moabite S. How about that? A Gentile. Not one of God's, you know chosen people, not, not a direct physical descendant of Abraham. And I'll tell you what's worse. Um, her husband Boaz in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 guess who his mum was? She wasn't Jewish either. She was a Canaanite. And you know what profession she belonged to? Not the newest profession, the oldest. She was a prostitute and her name was Rahab. It's pretty messy, isn't it? Scandalous. But you see, it's through this messy family line that God in his goodness, God in his mercy, uh, chose to bless not just Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, not just Israel, but the whole world. People like you and me. People who claim Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. People who claim him as our king, as our ruler. People who, like Ruth, would have said that your God will be my God, will say, will I bow my knee to Jesus as my God. People who turn to him in faith, in repentance and in thanksgiving. Have you done that yet? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for uh, this uh, great book of Ruth. We thank you for the concepts that we see in it of the kinsman redeemer. Father, we thank you that Ultimately, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, that he is our brother, that he has purchased us at the cost of his own blood. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be people who trust him, who repent and who live with him as our king, as our ruler. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Scott. We're going to finish off the service now. If, if you'd like to stand together with us, we're going to sing Be Still My Soul. <laughs>